Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Densky opens up our new series, Puzzle Piece Jesus, where we will dig deeper into the pieces of Jesus we don't understand, getting into the truth of who he was and what he taught. We look at John 6, verses 25 through 36, and verses 47 through 66, as Jesus teaches about being the bread of life. Matt clarifies some confusing things in this passage and challenges us to ask ourselves, why are we personally seeking Jesus? We hope you enjoy this message. Amen, amen. Grab a seat. Guys, it is good to be here with you guys tonight, man. I'm, I'm like really thankful, really excited. Um, yeah, man, like my heart, I'm just happy. I'm just happy to be here with you guys. I love you guys, man. Yeah, and uh, man, if, if you're new here, if it's your first time, if you don't know me, my name's Matt. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Hit that melee. Uh, and I get to serve here on an incredible team, and we have hearts for the next generation, for teenagers, for students. We love you guys. And our heart, our prayer is that uh, you guys would know when you come here that you belong here, that you're loved here, that you're welcome here. No matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, whether you believe in Jesus or not, with the baggage you came in with tonight, none of that matters. You're loved here and you belong here, and we want you to know that. And we're excited to have you here. We just finished, as you guys know by now, our annual retreat weekend. We call it Epic because, man, it is epic. Like, it is, it's pretty amazing. And if, if you guys are hearing about it and you're like, ah, oh, dude, I don't know what it was. I wish I was there. That recap video looks so cool or whatever, we just want to let you know, um, next year, come on, like, go ahead and put it in your calendar. It's Labor Day weekend every year. So first weekend of, of September every year. So go ahead and mark it. We would love to have you guys there. But we are celebrating, man. We're celebrating a lot of things that God did at Epic. We had um, like 220-something students there, plus leaders. We had almost 300 people there. It was pretty amazing. And um, seven of our students decided to believe in Jesus for the, for the first time ever, which is really it's awesome, man. We're rejoicing over that. So first time ever, over 50 of you decided, you know what, I've been, I've been wandering for far too long and I'm coming home. Over 50 students said, man, enough is enough. I'm coming back to Jesus and I'm making this real tonight. So we're rejoicing over that. And it's exciting, man. And nine, nine of you said, you know, I just sense God has placed this specific calling in my life, this, this purpose on my heart, and I want to commit to it. He's leading me into something specific. I can feel it, and I'm going to commit to it. So nine of you committed to the calling that God has placed on your heart, which is really, really exciting and amazing. And so we're rejoicing. Like, there's so much that God is doing in our ministry right now, and, uh, and we're excited about it, man. We're just humbled to be a part of it. And, um, and we love you guys. We love Jesus. I think you'll discover that pretty soon if you are new here. But you're also coming on a great week because we're beginning a new series tonight. So for the next five or six weeks, we're going to be camping out in this series. We're going to be unpacking this idea. The name of the series is Puzzle Piece Jesus. Now, sometimes ideas come to me, man. Sometimes I'll just be sitting there and be like, you know what would be a great idea for a series? And then I might pitch it to the team, and they're all like, no, dude, that sucks. <laughs> like, that's bad. Uh, well, this one just kind of came to me um, a few months ago, uh, last, last March. This idea came to me, and I started thinking. I said, man, you know, like, we're all guilty of this at times. We, we, most of us have grown up in the South, not all of us, but most of us. And, and in the South, the language of Jesus or of God is very common. Maybe you grew up in a church 
and you've heard it a lot of your life. And whether you realize it or not, by the time you guys reach the age you're at, as, as young adults, as teenagers, by the time you reach this age, you've pretty well formed some pretty concrete ideas about who Jesus is, who God is, and what this whole thing is about. But the reality is, and sometimes we're unaware of this, is that a lot of those opinions we've formed or those ideas about Jesus or about God are more so based in things we've picked up over the years, not necessarily truth. And so it's almost like we have this portrait of Jesus, and it's comprised of a ton of different pieces, this puzzle, and, and there's no box cover, right? Like maybe, maybe we have a vague idea of what it's supposed to look like, but as we grow older, we're just kind of putting these pieces together, forming this idea. But the reality is a lot of us put pieces together based on a sermon that we heard. We heard a pastor say something, we thought, yeah, that sounds good, I'll believe that, and we put it in our portrait. Or maybe a friend said something, you had a question about Jesus, and you were curious, and some friend said something, and you're like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'll put that in my portrait of Jesus. And so we compile this puzzle piece portrait, but unaware of the fact that maybe some of our pieces are not actually truth. And I'll be honest with you guys, I, I work with high schoolers and middle schoolers a lot, but I also work with college students a lot who have graduated over the years. And one of the primary conversations I have with my college students is unpacking um, things that they've heard from sermons growing up that have led them to incorrect beliefs in Jesus. And now as college students, we're having to go back and retrace these lies or these falsehoods or these incorrect teachings to help them understand better who Jesus really is or, or what the church really is. A lot of my conversations with college students are actually correcting things they heard in some whack sermon somewhere. But in that moment, it sounded good, it felt good, it got them hyped up, it got them pumped up, and so they believed it. They added it to their portrait. And we're all guilty of this. And sometimes we come across things in the scriptures that Jesus taught, and we don't really know what to do with it. Jesus taught some, some strange things. He was a master teacher, and he used a lot of different styles of teaching. He spoke figuratively sometimes. He spoke literally sometimes. He spoke poetically sometimes. He talked in hyperboles sometimes. He talked in metaphors and allegories sometimes. He talked in riddles sometimes. He's a master teacher. He implements all these different styles. And sometimes we come to a passage where like, what? Like, what do I do with this? And so some of us avoid it altogether. And so in our portrait of Jesus, there's like a literal blank space. There's nothing there. We don't know what to do with that. Some of us really like don't know what to do with it, but, but we've heard maybe an American understanding of it. And so in our portrait of Jesus, there might be a few pieces that just have like stars and bars, like this cultural idea of who Jesus is. Some of us maybe heard something really, really strange, and so we have this kind of misshapen piece that's kind of crammed in there and shoved in there, and, and we're trying to figure that out. We all do this. Our portrait of Jesus is comprised of different pieces that we've picked up over the years. And I had this idea last March. I said, man, what if we had a series that focused entirely on some of these more obscure passages that Jesus taught, some of these more difficult passages to understand, what if we helped our students have appropriately fitting pieces into the portrait who is Jesus so that they can better understand him and follow him and worship him? And so that's what this series is all about. We're going to look at different passages that traditionally have been tough to understand, difficult to understand, and maybe you've crammed in this American idea that's kind of whack, or maybe you've crammed in this sermon you heard one time and it's, it's just not true, or, or maybe you just left it blank, and, and we're going to dig in over the next five or six weeks. Does that sound good? Yeah. yeah? You guys with me tonight? Okay. 
I'm not opposed to, to quiet. There's time for quiet. I just often believe a, a silent church is a dead church oftentimes. So feel free to interact with me, man. I, I, I like that, and I, it lets me know you're awake a little bit. I have come to the conclusion that food is a very, very important part of life. Can I get an, can I get an amen on that? Praise him. Praise him. Uh, my sister, Jessica Weinberg, I don't know where you're at right now. Yeah, there you are. She brought me my favorite apple donuts from Skytop. She brought them in tonight. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's literally like she went up to heaven. That's why they call it Skytop. She talked to God, and she's like, Father, may I, may I bless him with your heavenly bread? And, and a dozen apple donuts came out. And so I have those in my office, and I'll probably eat. In my mind, I'll say, I'm only going to have two tonight, but, but who are we kidding? I'm, I'm going to plow through at least eight tonight. I'm going to go home. I'm going to eat them until I feel guilty, and I'm going to be like, I should probably save my wife and my son some, so then I'll eat two more and save them two to share. I mean, that's probably what I'll do tonight, 10, coming down the hatch. But food is a pretty important part of life. Food affects us. My wife and my, I have two sons. All three of them share a basic trait. Um, they turn into savages if they don't have food. They, they turn wild. It's like Bruce Banner turned Hulk. You know what I mean? Like my wife is the sweetest woman on the planet, but you remove food from her for long enough. <sighs> like she's savage, man. It's like Voldemort. <laughs> we, do, we don't name him, but it's like that. She's just completely different. And I'm scared in my home sometimes. Our first date, man, like it was... She skipped a meal on our first date. I was literally sitting there thinking, like, why am I out with this girl? Like, I do not like this version of you. <laughs> like, she was really hangry in that moment. So my wife and my two sons, if they go without food, they, they go crazy. Can, can anyone relate to that? It's not just like I'm hungry and I'm struggling. It's like, no, I'm different. You know, yeah, yeah. They're like that. I, I don't get that because to me it's like, yeah, I'm hungry and I feel the emptiness, but I'm not going to, like, go psycho on you, you know, like some people do. But they're like that, man. Food is a very, very important part of our life. A few years ago, uh, a few, maybe like 10, 10 years ago now, I'm getting old, man. 10 years ago, I was participating in this uh, athletic competition of sorts. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, I was, yeah, man. I used to do sports and um, go football. Uh, and, and for this particular event, I had to be on a, a pretty strict diet. Uh, and not just what I ate, what I drank too. It was all monitored. So ounces of water per day were monitored. Everything was monitored for, for uh, about two months, everything. And I know it doesn't sound that rough. Like, oh, only two months. But dude, I'm telling you, like you have the same thing at the same time. And it's all measured out. It's weighed out. Everything's the same. I mean, you eventually start to like, oh my gosh, I hate this. And, and during this time, I went, um, part of this diet, I went home for my birthday. And my mom surprised me for my birthday. A ton of my friends from college were there when I got home. And I was like, you don't live here. Like, I was like putting two and two together. And they had this huge party for me with all of my favorites, man. Like cake and pies, all sorts of stuff everywhere. And your boy didn't eat any of it. Because I'm, I'm a disciplined, I can't, I'm on my diet, man. I couldn't have any of that. I was, I was focused on my goals. And so I sat there and watched as everyone had these delectable goodies. And I was putting a sweet potato in the microwave. <laughs> no butter, no sugar, just a sweet potato. And that's what I was eating for dinner, you know? Like I was suffering, man. But when, when, when it was all over, when I was done with the diet, let me tell you. Because you know if you ever go on a diet, you, you develop cravings. You know what I'm talking about? 
and you're like, dude, when I'm done with this, here's what I'm going to have. <laughs> and let me tell you, when the diet was done, here's what I had in one night. This is no joke. This is what I had in one night. I had two rolled pretzels and two slices of pizza from Mellow Mushroom. One bag, a whole bag of white powdered donuts. No regrets. A whole carton of orange juice. One plate of chocolate-covered strawberries. One peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And seven, seven bowls of cereal and milk. Dude, I... I was laying on the floor, like trying to elongate my stomach in so much pain. I was in, ah, and I would stretch it out for a minute and then I would sit up, mm, so, so worth it. Like it was so painful and so worth it. Food, food plays an important role in our life. And if you know me, then you know my favorite food on the planet is breakfast food. I love breakfast food. If we've ever, if we've ever gone out to eat, you know where I'm going. Eggs up grill every time. Eggs up. I'm all uh, yeah. You want to go to eggs up? Yeah, let's get some breakfast. That's my jam. That's my place. I love it. Can't be breakfast food. No, I like. I mean, I like Cracker Barrel. Uncle Herschel's Mama's pancake. Yeah, it's okay. Jesus can still. He can redeem your wayward soul. He can help you. Okay. She's like, oh my gosh. Just joking. All right. I happen to have here tonight. Yes, I happen to have here, this is, a, this is a pancake, this is a pancake, it's fresh made, girls smell this, you can, don't, don't eat it, I know it smells good, it's fresh made, I would, I would try to do that whole trick where I flip it, but I'm nervous, I'm nervous, no, 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 I'm nervous, okay, yeah, <laughs> Dude, I think, I think Jesus and his angels right there were like, all right, let me help you out, buddy, because there's no way I was doing that one. I love breakfast food. I love pancakes. This is a fairly large pancake. Like if you, if I spread my hand out, my thumb and the tips of my fingers touch the circumference, right? It's a fairly large one. If you ate this, you'd probably get full, right? Stop. Just stop it. No, I wouldn't, man. I could do a dozen. No, okay. Pancakes are deceptively filling. Everybody knows that. You order a short stack, you're like, why? Why did I do that? I can only do one. But my son, my, my four-year-old, he loves pancakes, but this is his size. This is his size right here. Okay. It's like the size of a, do a silver dollar, right? Silver dollar pancake. This is his size. He loves these. He'll eat about like four of these, and that's his, that's his dinner, right? Like he loves them. But if you ate one of these, it probably wouldn't do much for you. Like it'd be like, oh, that's... That's an appetizer. That's an appetizer. You may be a little hungrier for something like this. Actually, man, actually, man, so remember my hand on this pancake, thumb to fingertips all around the circumference. Let me show you the biggest pancake I've ever eaten in my entire life. This is at this hole-in-the-wall restaurant in East Tennessee. I found it a, num a number of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me give you perspective, because you look at the picture, you're like, oh, I mean, that's not very big. My hand is, is giving you perspective. The same hand is like the size of this pancake. So that big daddy up there is like four, five of these. It's huge, man. It was huge. I couldn't, obviously, I couldn't eat the whole thing. Yeah, I felt like a wimp. I did. I was like, oh, can I get a to-go box? You know what their to-go box was? 
like an extra large pizza box, man. They didn't have to-go boxes for it. They're like, yeah, here you go. They must just go to Pizza Hut and get them because that's what they gave me. This is the largest pancake I've ever had in my life. I couldn't finish it. It was so big. Pancakes are deceptively filling. Even this one right here, I might make it through this one and be like, whoo, okay, because it expands in your stomach. You know what I mean? Food has an important role in our life. It does. And Jesus understands this. In fact, tonight, I want to look at a, a, a passage of Scripture tonight, which, in my opinion, is one of Jesus' most divisive teachings, confusing teachings, and confrontational teachings that he gives. But it's deceptive, because on the surface, it doesn't seem that way. Like, you read it, and you're like, yeah, I mean, it's weird, but it's not offending me. But it is extremely offensive, especially for the audience who heard it that day. And Jesus has a lot to say about food in this very, very divisive message, sermon, teaching that he gives. So turn with me, John chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles, that's no problem. We have it on the screens for you. John chapter 6. Now let me give you some context. Jesus has been traveling. He's been doing ministry. His reputation is out there. He's well known by now. He's known as the miracle man. He's known as a guy who can do a lot of things. He speaks with authority. He speaks with power. He can perform miracles. And the day before this, the literal day before this, Jesus is surrounded by this crowd who, who wants him, who wants to see him. I mean, you can imagine if someone rolled through Greenville and you heard about them casting demons out of people, and you heard about them kind of turning the entire church on its head and rebuking a lot of church leaders in the area. And you heard about them speaking with authority. And you heard about them calming the storm. Maybe like all of a sudden they, they just spoke to this massive storm and, and it just calmed. And you heard about that. Or, or maybe, maybe you heard about them raising someone from the dead or something like that. If they passed through Greenville, I dare say your curiosity would be piqued. And maybe you would even go to see this person. This is the peak of Jesus' popularity. People want to see who he is, what he's about, what he's doing. They want to see if he's going to perform another miracle. Imagine being able to tell your kids one day, man, I was there when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Dude, it was insane. So people want a piece of that. And they're following Jesus around, not necessarily because of who he is, but because of what he can do. And the day before this passage, there's this large crowd there. Now, in the scriptures, they head-counted men. It was a cultural thing back, there, back then. But we can assume that there were also women and children. And so it's known as the feeding of the 5,000, but really that's 5,000 men. So just roughly estimating a few. Like, I, th I think feeding of the 12,000 could be appropriate, probably even more than that. So Jesus, the day before this, is surrounded by this crowd. And they're hungry, and they have no food. And he turns to his disciples. He's like, hey, man. What can we give them? And his disciples are like, dude, we got 12,000 people, bro. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, you got anything on you? I mean, could you imagine going, what, what's uh, the Clemson Stadium, Death Valley? Could you imagine going to, like, Death Valley? I, I would never go to a college football game in person. But imagine I'm with you. Jija, I see your Clemson, I see your Clemson shirt on. So let me... So JJ and I are kicking it, go Dabo, I'm like, hey Dabo, all right, and, and we're there at Death Valley, and I'm looking around the stadium, and I'm like, man, JJ, look at all these people, dude, I bet they're hungry, bro, like, what you got in your pockets for them, man? And you're like, dude, I got some, like, linty fruit snacks, and maybe like a peanut butter cracker in here, like, what are you talking about? 
Yeah, let's feed them, dude. I mean, it's the equivalent. It's like, dude, what are you talking? Like, what, what can I give this massive group? What did Jesus, what are you talking about? And so, and so Peter's brother, Andrew, comes up, and he's like, dude, I, I don't know if this helps, but this little boy, he's got this lunch. <laughs> I just bullied the kid to come over here. I, like, grabbed him by the ear. I don't, he's like, give us the food. Like, he's got this lunch. And the kid had a couple of fishes and, and some pieces of bread, and Jesus is like, yeah, that'll do. And so Jesus performs this miracle, and he takes this little boy's packed lunch, and he, he blesses it and, and is able to manifest food from this one lunch. And the scriptures say that every person there ate their fill until they were satisfied. 12,000 plus people coming out of one little boy's lunch. So this is a, this is a miracle. Defies the laws of physics. It goes beyond our comprehension. We don't get it. Jesus is doing something here that's otherworldly. He's displaying a, a spiritual power here, a divinity. He's pointing to himself as God through this miracle. And he's able to feed a multitude with this little boy's packed lunch. It'd be, it'd be like JJ comes up to me in, in uh, Death, what's it called? Death Valley? Yeah, thanks. I almost said Death Stadium, but that sounded more, but I was like, that can't be right. Uh, he comes up to me in Death Valley. He's like, dude, I don't got much, but... I just bumped into this four-year-old, and he's got a Lunchable with ham and cheese and some crackers, man. A little pack of M&Ms. Will, will, will that do the trick? It's like, yeah, man, for these thousands, yeah. I mean, it's just insane, right? Like, but that's what Jesus does. Now, the next day, so remember, that's before our passage. The next day, the crowds are following Jesus again, and that's where we're going to pick up in our story. That's where we're going to pick up. John chapter 6. Remember, this is... Arguably one of Jesus' most divisive teachings. I mean, it's crazy because you read it and you're like, really? But, it, but let's, let's dig in. John chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 25. Jesus fed them the day before, and now he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? When did you come here? Which is kind of a funny, a funny question to me because... They were looking for him and did not realize that he had left. Remember, the, the night prior, the disciples got into the boat and started crossing the Sea of Galilee, but Jesus did not. This is the whole Jesus walking on water thing. They never saw him get into the boat, so they wake up the next morning, and they scan the shoreline. They're like, where is this dude? And someone's like, uh, maybe he crossed the sea. How? But they go over there like, would you get here? We were waiting on you. And Jesus doesn't answer that question, but it's, it's interesting because he gives them a response that I don't think they were expecting. And this leads into a lot of the controversy, controversy, if you will, uh, of, this, of this teaching time. That's one of those words I always have to pause in my head and say, don't say controversy, say controversy. I don't know if you guys have any words like that. I'm kind of weird. Verse 26. Controversy. Verse 26. Jesus says, truly, I truly, 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 I say to you, you are seeking me not because of the signs that you saw, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So Jesus says, they come to him, they're like, hey, when did you get here? Jesus says, I know why you're here. You're not here because of what you saw yesterday. You're here because of what you got yesterday. You're not here because you saw signs. You're here because of the loaves that you ate. 
And then Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And so they're hearing this, and they're like, so you don't want us to seek food that spoils? Like, you don't want us to seek this pancake right here? Because that's going to go bad. But Jesus, you blessed us with food yesterday, just so we're clear. And Jesus says, yeah, you shouldn't seek food that spoils. You should seek the food that leads to eternal life. That sounds pretty good to me. I mean, if you eat a, a loaf of bread on a Friday and your stomach's full, and then you go back to the bakery on a Saturday and the guy's like, you shouldn't want that loaf anymore. You might be like, okay, <laughs> what should I want? eternal loaf <laughs> like <laughs> yes I want that <laughs> like and that's basically Jesus is saying man you should seek the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man that's what Jesus called himself which the son of man will give you so they answered him they misunderstand what he's saying they think you got to do something for this they get you got to work for it they misunderstand and they said well what what must we do to be doing the works of God and Jesus answered them, he said, well, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, that you believe in me. And so they said to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Now, man, if, if we just pause the, the flow of the path, this is, this is an idiotic question. It is. It's an idiotic question. Put yourself in the story. You traveled, you, you took a day off work, or you, you traveled from home, you, you took your camel and you rode like 10 miles, I don't know, man, but you met up with Jesus and you're there with 12,000 other people and you're hungry and Jesus takes this, this little boy's lunch and blesses it and then you watch as he endlessly feeds this multitude around you until eventually the bread and the fish come to you and you're watching that basket like you're keeping your eyes on the basket you're like dude how is this happening man this is like a the magician's hat like you want a bunny rabbit you want a tiger you want a 747 jet engine like well how is that in there bro and you're watching this happen you're like dude i'm not gonna take my eyes off this and all of a sudden someone brings you food and you're like yeah yeah, yeah thanks and you're like watching the bag like how is more coming out like you saw this happen the day before. You ate your fill. You were satisfied. Then you hear that Jesus went somewhere else. You're like, uh-uh, not without me. And so you cross the Sea of Galilee and you find him. And Jesus says, hey, I know why you're here. You're not here because of me. You're here because of what you got from me. You shouldn't seek earthly food. You should seek heavenly food. It's essentially what Jesus is saying. And you're like, well, how do I get that heavenly food? And Jesus is like, through me. And then you ask him, you have the audacity to ask him this idiotic question. Well, what sign can you do? That would make me believe. Dude, if I were Jesus, if I were Jesus, I would have wholly smacked that person like, I'd have smacked him with a baguette just to prove my point. You know what I mean? Like. Dude, I, I just fed 12,000 people yesterday. You were there. You saw it go down. What sign do I prefer? Like, what more do you need, man? But that's the nature. That's the nature of our faith when it's based on what Jesus does for us rather than who he is. It's never enough. Never enough. 
Because when you receive some kind of sign or some kind of idea that, man, this guy is the real deal, whenever you receive that, it always leaves you thinking, ah, okay, just one more, and then I'll be fully convinced. And if any of you have ever struggled in your faith, and you found yourself praying this prayer, God, would you just give me a sign? Would you just like, I just want to definitively know, like, I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to turn the light to my room off. You know you've done that. You know you've done this. And when I open them, if my lights are on, if they're on, God, I, I just know it's you. Your word says I'm the light of the world. It's got to be you. And let's just say, let's pretend for a second that Jesus actually blessed that prayer and flipped the light switch on. And you like peer open your eyes. <gasps> There's a thought that comes in your head and you know it would come in. Huh. Could have been, could have been Duke Energy. Power surges happen. Could have been my mom or dad. They walked in on me with my eyes closed in the dark. That's weird, but maybe they turned it on. And so then you find yourself praying this prayer. Okay, God, I'm going to close my eyes one more time. Just one more. And this time, if the lights go off. <laughs> right? Like, you know, you know, it's like, man, when, when God shows up, there's, the, there's always this thing in the back of your mind that's like, man, if he would just prove it one more time, I'd believe. That's the nature when your faith is based off what Jesus can do for you rather than who he is to you. And these people are looking for a sign. And Jesus says, you shouldn't seek food that perishes. That's a little mysterious. We're going to unpack that in a minute. You shouldn't seek food that perishes, but food that leads to eternal life. They're like, dude, give me that. And he's like, okay, I can give it to you. Well, who are you? Prove yourself. And Jesus is like, yesterday ring a bell? I mean, that's the nature. When we seek Jesus for the wrong reasons, we're never, ever, ever satisfied with who he is. We always want more. What works, what signs can you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Then Jesus says this remarkable statement, verse 35. I am the bread of life. It's me. I'm that bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. So the crowd here, they want a sign, right? They're like, dude, what can you do? Give us a sign. And then they reference this Old Testament passage. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. But they reference when Moses was leading the Hebrew people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And the people are wandering through the wilderness. And they're like, hey, Moses, we hungry. And Moses takes that request to God. He says, God, the people are hungry. And God says, all right, man, I'm going to provide for you. Now, it's about to blow your mind. But I'm going to make bread rain from heaven. True story you can read about it in the Old Testament. I'm going to make bread rain from heaven. And every day I want you to take what you need but nothing more because I want to teach you how to depend on me and trust in me. Don't stockpile it. Don't take more than you need, but take what you need. Each and every day I'll make bread rain from heaven. I don't know if y'all have ever walked outside during a storm and some white bread is hitting you in the face, okay? 
But this is what's happening. In fact, the Hebrew people didn't know what to call it, so it's literally named, what is it? That's what manna literally translates to. What is it? Like, I don't know, man, but God gave it to us. Let's eat this stuff. And every day God would make, what is it, rain from heaven to nourish his people. The people say to Jesus, yeah, God did that for us. And Jesus kind of comes back at them with this. Yeah, he did. But guess what? I'm the new bread from heaven. That's what he says. I'm the bread of life. Yeah, God did make bread rain from heaven. And guess what? Bread has come from heaven again. And guess what? It's not a what. It's a who. It's not what is it this time. It's who is it. And Jesus says, it's me. You see how he's playing off the Old Testament story. He says, man, I'm the new bread from heaven that God has made come down. But they don't quite get this. Because they're not desiring Jesus for who he is. They're desiring what he can do. And I think Jesus might pose that same question to the room. Are you looking for Jesus? Or are you looking to get something from Jesus. And however you answer that question will define your faith. Because if you're looking to get something from Jesus, you will never, ever be satisfied. You remember my son's little pancake? Remember it? A little cute, pan, little cute little pancake. You can eat it one bite. You remember this pancake? This is what it's like when you're looking to get something from Jesus. Like you go to Jesus and you're like, dude, I just, want, I just want something. I want a sign. Jesus is like, I mean, all right, here you go. And you eat it and you're like, whoa, that was good. But does it fill you? No, man. Look at it. So you come back. You're like, dude, could I get another? Like, all right. And you eat it. You're like, whoo, that was good again. But here's the deal. I talked about this a few weeks ago when I preached in the morning service. If you guys are not familiar with the, with the term inoculation, here's what that means. There's deadly viruses that exist out there. And to help people build up antibodies and immunities to those viruses, they go through a process called inoculation. And what that means is whatever the deadly virus is, they will take a small portion of that virus that could kill you. And they will introduce it to your body in the tiniest of doses. They'll just inject the tiniest dose into your body. And your body experiences a small portion of that virus, and you're able to fend it off because it's not the full-blown thing. It's just a small portion. And so you develop immunities. You develop antibodies towards that virus, and they, and they do this process, small dose after small dose after small dose, so that your body is able to withstand that particular strain of virus. And one day, if the full thing ever hits you, you would remain immune to that virus. You've been inoculated to that virus. Because you've been introduced into small dose after small dose after small dose. Guys, this is what we've done with Jesus. You have become so used to this tiny little bite-sized portion of him. Here you go, man. Here you go. Here you go. Oh, you heard a good sermon? Woo! Here you go. Oh, you listened to a podcast and it got you going? Woo! Here you go. Oh, you experienced Epic this past weekend? Wow! Here you go. Your faith has been based on tiny bite-sized portions of Jesus for so long that you've come to the conclusion that's who Jesus is. He's some little tiny bite-sized thing, and once it doesn't satisfy any longer because this won't, I'll come back for another bite. 
when all the while Jesus is saying, dog, I got this for you. Man, I got five of these for you. You need a pizza box to take it home. Man, I'm not some little bite-sized thing. Why are you satisfied with that when you could have this? Are you looking for Jesus or are you looking to get something from Jesus? It leads you to two entirely different understandings of who he is. So the crowds don't really understand what's going on. They're like, man, who is this to claim he's the bread from heaven? We know you. You're the son of Joseph and Mary. We know who you are. We're going to pick back up. Verse 47. Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Yeah, your fathers ate the manna, the bread that rained from heaven. They ate manna in the wilderness, and still they died. They grew old, and they died. That's the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for life of the world is my, what's he say? Flesh. Now here's where it gets super divisive and weird. You're having this conversation with Jesus. Like, dude, you're confusing me, but I'm curious. You just did this miracle, and I'm interested in you, but now you're telling me that if all I ever eat is earthly bread, I'll die. Well, that seems true. Earthly bread doesn't lead to eternal life, but now you're calling yourself heavenly bread? Bro, this is kind of confusing, and Jesus says, man, let me lay it out for you. The bread I have to offer for you to eat is my flesh. Peace out, dude. (laughs) Like, I was confused but not grossed out. Until now, I'm going home. That's disgusting. Think about this. Remove the familiarity out of your minds. Come to it with fresh ears, fresh eyes. Jesus looks at this crowd, 12,000 strong, and says, you want the heavenly bread? Here it is. It's my skin. It's my flesh. Eat me. That's when you... You lean over. What he What did he say? Did he just tell us to eat his, eat a skin, man? That's a skin sandwich, dude. What the heck is he talking about? Yeah, it's disgusting. It's gross. It's confusing. It's offensive. We understand this passage after the fact. You got to understand. They're hearing it for the first time. Jesus is like, yo, cannibalize me. They're hearing it for the first time. And you got to understand, Jewish people, by law, did not eat meat with blood in it. By law. It was a big rule. And here's Jesus. Yo, I'm from heaven. I can give you eternal life. He's claiming to be God here, by the way. I can give you a life that will never end. You're here for earthly bread? Man, I got heavenly bread. Oh, you want to know what the bread is? Woo, it's me. You all better eat me now. You have been steeped in a culture that prohibits you from eating rare steak, bloody meat, and now you got the dude claiming to be God saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Nuh-uh. Peace out. I'm going. <laughs> like, you can do as many miracles as you want, bro. I'm going home. Like, that's, that's the response of the crowd. Jesus says, man, eat my flesh. 
The Jews then disputed, I don't blame them, among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, well, I mean, I'll I'll be honest with you. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you've got no life. I mean, he takes it one step further. You got nothing. Man, you're going to die if you don't eat me right now. It's a weird passage, man. It's a weird passage. Like, when you approach it with fresh ears, you're like, uh-huh, man, I think I'd go home too. Like, I ain't about that life. I ain't about to cannibalize no Jesus. Look, verse 54. This is starting to get walking dead status right here. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. And then, get this, and then I'm going to raise him up. Like, what? What are you talking Resurrection. Now, wait a minute. Now, when did this come in? I'm going to raise him up. On the last day, for my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. Yeah, that makes sense. You would be in me at that point, Jesus. Like, yes. It's offensive, man. It's confusing. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. That's his sermon. That's his message. Strange? Strange? This is one of those sermons, this is one of those sermons, like I just imagine in sermon prep, like sometimes as I'm preparing for my sermons, I'll sit down with my team and be like, all right, I got this analogy, now just hang with me. And sometimes I'll get this feedback, yeah, I think that's probably too extreme. <laughs> like, that might offend some people. That might step on some toes. <laughs> like, could you package that a different way? I preached a sermon one time, and I had a volunteer call a lunch with me. They met with me face-to-face, and they said, but why did you have to say it like that? No joke. It was edgy, man. Why'd you have to say it like, dude, this is one of those sermons, I, ma- I imagine Jesus' sermon prep team, he didn't have one, but if he did, you know, you can see him chilling with the angels, all right guys, so here's what I'm thinking, I'm going to blast them with this, uh, my flesh is your life type thing, I can just see the angel like, I wouldn't go that route, man, like you don't understand these earthly people, they don't eat people. This is a radical teaching, it's a radical teaching, so what's he mean? What's he mean? Jesus is not speaking literally, thankfully. (laughs) He's speaking metaphorically. The people have experienced a bite-sized portion of Jesus, a sign, a miracle. They're following him. They're interested in him. And Jesus says, man, why, why would you settle for this? If you really want me to feed you, you're here because you're hungry, right? They're like, yeah. You're here because I fed you yesterday, right? Yeah. You're here because you want another miracle, right? You want me to make more bread? Yeah. All right, then. I got some bread for you. It's me. You're like, what? Man, you ate earthly bread, but that doesn't lead to eternal life. You'll still be hungry the next time. You took one bite, and you weren't satisfied. You'll still be hungry the next time. But I've got something for you that if you were to eat that, you would be full forever. You would never hunger again. You would never come back for another bite-sized portion. You would be full And they're like, dude, well, give us that. But Jesus isn't talking about earthly realities. 
He's not talking about some magic thing you can eat and be like, ooh, I'm good till I die. He's talking about an eternal reality. I have heavenly bread that if you were to eat it, it would fulfill your every desire. You would be completely satisfied in me, and no longer would you be coming for scraps and these signs and these temporary highs that you get from me. You would eat this and live forever and be satisfied forever. And they're like, well, what is that? It's me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, man, if you don't eat me, if you don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part in me, you have no eternal life. They're taking it literally, but what Jesus is talking about is spiritually. What he's talking about is consuming the fullness of him. He is the new bread from heaven, just like the Old Testament Hebrews ate and lived on a daily basis. He's the new bread that's come down from heaven. That when we consume him in his entirety, we live forever. Never to hunger again. Man, if you're tired of kind of teetering the line with Jesus, and you're like, dude, I experienced things like epic. I was on such a high. But I know in one week I'll be just like crashing again, and I'll be like, Jesus, where are you, dude? I need something else to sustain me. You've got this kind of faith. bite size. If you're coming to Jesus because you're like, dude, I'm just at a, I'm at a low point in my life and I, need, I just need, like I need a, a bite-sized thing from you to, to get me through. There's nothing wrong with seeking Jesus in those circumstances, but you got to understand if you fully consume Jesus, he sees you through no matter what. You don't need some bite-sized thing. You already have the fullness of him. Is your life defined by bite-sized temporary satisfaction or have you truly eaten the bread of life that leads to eternal life and that fully satisfies? Jesus is saying there are tons of options to eat in this world, but I'm the only one that will never leave you hungry again. If you've ever found yourself empty, hollow, broken, ashamed, guilty, hungering for something to fill your soul, you have not yet eaten the bread of life. Because Jesus promises you'll never hunger again with me. You'll never spiritually hunger. You will be satisfied in me. The crowd couldn't take this teaching. Look at chapter 6, verse 66. <gasps> 666, oh no. Look at this verse. After this, after this teaching... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You remember those crowds that Jesus drew? Not anymore. You remember those people that claimed to follow him? Not anymore. You remember those people that were all about Jesus? Man, you got to come see this guy, dude. He raises people from the dead. He casts out demons. He speaks to the weather. You got to come see him. Not anymore. Because Jesus offered them something like this. And they were so overwhelmed. Wait, 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 Jesus, you want us to consume that? Like, dude, I don't know if I'm able to do that, man. I kind of like this bite-sized faith thing. I kind of like this little sampler platter I get from you. I kind of like seeing the miracles and going home and feeling good and hearing a pump-me-up sermon and some motivational speech garbage and walking home and feeling like, yeah, that was a good, that was a good word right there. But to give you my whole life? Come on now, Jesus. 
I'm not about that. Jesus puts them on the line. He says, look, you've sampled me, but now i got to be clear with you. You either eat me or you don't, but there is no middle ground. You consume all of me, my teachings, my word, my ways of living, my invitation to you to surrender to me. You consume my flesh, which means you trust in the brokenness of my body on the cross to deal with your sin, and you, you drink my blood, which means you trust in the shedding of my blood on the cross to deal with your sin, and you surrender to me as Lord of your life. You consume all of me. You don't get to plug in some pieces in your puzzle that aren't about me. You don't get to create your own portrait of me. This is who I am. This is the puzzle. You either get it all or not. But I'm not going to play this game where you get to decide what each piece looks like and you get to come for sampler platters. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's what it looks like to have eternal life. The crowd said, no. The peak of his popularity, Jesus went from 12,000 strong to 12. He turned around, he looked at his disciples, he said, are you going to leave me too? 12,000 to 12 off of one sermon. It was too extreme. John 6, verse 66, after that, they left him. They left him. They turned back. They no longer walked with him. I think Jesus would pose the same question to us in this room. Why are you seeking Jesus? I mean, that's basically what he asked him. Why are you here? Why are you seeking me? Because of who I am or because of what I can do? Because of what I can give you? Or because of, because of who I am? Why are you seeking Jesus? That's a hard question, man. It puts you on the spot. Like, there's nowhere to really hide from that. You can't dodge that one. There's really three responses to Jesus according to this passage. One is, you're coming to him to sample him. You kind of want a little bite-sized version of faith. You, you kind of want this thing where you're like, ooh, I get hyped up about Jesus here and there, but I still want my own life on the side. But I don't want to totally disassociate from Jesus. I still want his good stuff. It makes me feel good. I'm going to come for a bite. doesn't satisfy, does it? You always come back. You always leave thinking, man, is that all? Maybe I should go back. Let me try it again. A sampler. The other option is to flat out reject him, which eventually they did. Like, nah, this guy's too extreme for us, man. I didn't know it was going to be like that. The final option would be to consume him in his entirety for who he is, his words, everything. You don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to say, yeah, I like that Jesus, but not that Jesus. I'm going to make my puzzle portrait look like this. And No, you don't get to do that. You either consume all of him and find satisfaction forever or not. And maybe you find yourself in that middle ground. Maybe you are a sampler. But I'm telling you, Jesus eventually calls that out. He eventually has this very gracious conversation with you where he says, hey, man, look, you've been playing this game a long time. Are you in or are you out? Now, he may say that in a bunch of different ways. I've been in student ministry a long time. I've talked to a lot of students who have been at that crossroads before. Dude, I'm just so tired of playing the game. I just feel like I need to make a decision. So do it. Make a decision. But the promise that Jesus gives is, but I will satisfy you. 
The amazing thing is he loves us enough to give us the option, the freedom to reject him. He will never force you to believe in him. But his promise about believing in him, consuming him is, you will be satisfied. You will never hunger again. All these things that you think will fill you, those relationships, those goals you had, those dreams you had, that hobby you had, all these things that you think will fill you and leave you empty, Jesus says, I'll fill you. I'll satisfy that craving, and you'll never hunger again. It's a promise, and one that I've found to be true. So why are you seeking Jesus? Same question. Sample him or to consume him? It's a crossroads. Jesus' invitation is full of hope. I will satisfy you, but it's a hard one. You got to eat all of me. It's a hard one. Man, I pray for you that you have the strength and the courage to consume Jesus, the bread of life, because he gives life. That you would be so tired of this world and the things that do not satisfy that you would say, man, I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to consume Jesus once and for all. I pray that you would have that kind of strength and boldness tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And your word is hard sometimes, but that's the nature of this series, man. We're tired of kind of creating our own image of you and our own portrait of you. Tired of making you look how we want you to look and wondering why we're never satisfied in that. Jesus, you promised so much more. And the promise is pretty simple. When we take you at your word and we consume you for who you are, we're satisfied. We're happy, we're whole, we're full. Doesn't mean there's no low points in life, but it does mean we're never alone. It means we never have to go searching for something to fill our souls ever again. Jesus, I pray that every student in this room, every person in this room would have the strength and courage to believe that truth and that we would no longer just sample you like some buffet we get to pick and choose, but that we would consume you in your entirety and discover for ourselves how satisfying you truly are. Spirit, we pray you would move in this room. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.